0: Yeah, it's very true.
1: Ain't no such thing as a free lunch, motherfucker.
0: Already off to a bad (laughs) start. The show is already canceled. This is going to be the last episode.
1: There is a lonely train. Called it 310
0: to Yuma Oh, that's right, ladies and gentlemen This week, for the first time ever We are doing a western 310 to Yuma 1957
1: Versus 2007
0: Yeah We're doing a western Yeah We're doing it The weirdest part about this western It was your idea Yeah Yeah, you hate westerns And you were just like 310 to Yuma I was like, sold
1: Well I couldn't remember hating the movie. I remember seeing the movie, but I don't remember hating it, so I figured it could couldn't be that bad. Couldn't be that bad of an idea.
0: No, no. I This was a fun week cuz I really liked both of these movies. I had I loved I was in love with the 2007 version,
1: and you had never seen the original.
0: I had never seen the original. I'd only seen clips and like some pieces of it, like with my dad. i had seen the ending.
1: I've seen the original, and I hadn't seen the remake. Re- yeah,
0: so I had. Um, do you have any good memories of you watching with your with your dad? I
1: always have good memories of westerns that I do like because my parents love westerns, so we're constantly watching it as kids. Because that's, like I said, my parents really love westerns. It's one thing that'll get them in a room together. As that a is Western.
0: true. That is true. I, yeah. I've I've seen your dad yeah. put on High Noon. The way the way he, this last weekend he cleared out the room with Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. <laughs> I was there because that's a good movie. But that's an
1: acquired taste. Yeah.
0: A Very acquired taste.
1: But yeah, so I I remember liking the movie. Then that's about it. Mm.
0: Yeah, I know. I caught the end one day on cable with my dad, and he'd like talked the movie up. But I was like, "Yeah, whatever. Black and white western. Who cares?" Right.
1: So yeah, I grumbled too.
0: Yeah, so I didn't really think much of it. And then in in two thousand and seven, that was an era when I went to go see everything basically that that came out in theaters. I wasn't really excited for Three Ten to Yuma, but it had a great cast. It looked good. And I went to go see it with a buddy of mine, and I mean, it knocked my socks off. It really did. Like I, I just like because I didn't know the story. So all this was like, holy shit! Oh, how cool! And I, I loved the movie. I, I bought it on Blu-ray, which is not something I normally do. <laughs> I don't, I don't always buy new movies, and I bought that movie right when it came out. I, I was automatically in love with the film, and this is great because I'd never seen the original, and I have another film that I love that's just like this other movie I love, but a little bit different. Yeah, and that's a super cool thing that happened. Spoiler, guys, we like both of these movies.
1: So yeah. yeah, the original is really good.
0: So the, the original is, first of all, I wasn't even dreading it. I, I, once I had read up about it, I was like, oh man, this is going to be a pretty cool movie. I really wonder, I really want to know what the hell is going to happen and how like, how it's going to play out. Because I knew there was going to be some things that were different. So I was intrigued. This wasn't one of the weeks where I was like kind of dreading watching a movie.
1: I want to start with the title card, okay? Because the title card is unique in the fact that it has its own song yeah. written for it.
0: Yeah, and we, we played that to come in.
1: It's really good. It's sung by Frankie Lake. Yeah. Well known for his singing theme songs for Western. So he, it's not his first, it ain't his first rodeo. And having such sincerity in his singing. So that's what people people said about his his voice, that they really loved it, the way he how sincere he sounded.
0: Yeah. Yeah. His singing performance really is fantastic. There's lots of performances that are great all around this bitch.
1: And it's because of this that Mel Brooks chose Lane to sing the theme song for Blazing Saddles.
0: <laughs> I did not know that.
1: He sang his heart out, never realizing he was singing a, a spoof.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, that's a great fact. So th- this movie was made in 1957 and first of all, I want to talk about one, Mr. Elmore Leonard, who is a fantastic and legendary author, uh, Get Shorty, lots of other great books that aren't coming to mind right now. You've definitely seen some Out of Sight. That's my favorite of his that's been adapted. Jackie Brown. Now they're all coming to me. Midway through the show, I'm going to be able to remember every movie, of his, every book of his that's ever come out, movie that's been adapted. Karen Sisko on ABC years ago was based off his characters from Out of Sight. Here I am just listening to them all now. Anyway, he wrote this, and this was actually an incredibly short story. That he wrote in uh, 53, and he sold it to, I believe, a Dime Western Magazine, a publication that obviously only specialized in Western stories. And it was $4,500, and I believe he was getting like five cents a word. So that came out to around $90 for the story, is what he was able to gather, gather back. Then. It
1: was two cents a word.
0: Two cents a word, I'm sorry. Yeah. Two cents a word. Math was not my strong suit. That's why I'm a podcaster and not a mathematician. <laughs> That's why I'm not doing something more substantial. <laughs> Please subscribe. You know what? We're bad podcast hosts. Who the hell are we?
1: Oh my God.
0: (laughs) We were so excited about 310 to Yuma. we totally forgot. We fucking forgot about who we are. Hi. Hello, 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 my signature. (laughs) I'm Pedro. And I'm Uh, Meredith. Yeah, this is my wife, Meredith. And we talk about movies. You know what? I tell you what, while we're here, you know what else we should do? If uh, you want to know more about us and comment and say anything to us, Gritty Reboot at Instagram or TikTok. Best way to get a hold of us. Or you can find me at illusions 13 uh, You can get a hold of me like that way on Twitter. I'll respond to you every now and then. Whatever, you know. Meredith, you're social?
1: I don't have socials.
0: Fuck social media. That's what I say. All right. So now that everyone knows who we are, we're not just some strangers blaring in your ears about 310 to Yuma. Do you have anything to follow up with, uh, m War Leonard?
1: I hadn't read the short story. I actually like Elmore Leonard as an author.
0: Yeah, I actually, I took the time to read the short story. Like I said, it's 4,500 pages, 4,500 pages, 4,500 words. Very different, very different, 4,500 words. So I was able to finish this up this afternoon and it only is like the elements of the movie are sort of there. All the character names are different except for Charlie. He's the only character who is actually re- character name who is repeated for some reason. So uh, that's about the only thing that's there. But you see some elements of the story that 310 to Yuma would become in the film version. So it's not 100% faithful, but they did take a lot of the elements and some of the spicier bits of dialogue from Elmore Leonard's work.
1: Yeah. And the movie starts off with a gang that comes up on a coach, and that gang is Ben Wade's gang.
0: Yeah, we open pretty much right up on that. Yeah. We open up with them coming up there, and we see... Our two main characters, Ben Wade, and then, of course, we have Dan Evans. And these guys are played by uh, Glenn Ford and Van Heflin. And I want to mention their names straight off the bat here, because this is one of the best acted Westerns I've ever seen.
1: Oh, it's so Hands
0: good. down. Glenn really, Ford is
1: so good. Glenn Ford
0: is amazing in this movie. Yeah. The way, in this opening sequence, he is going to let us know everything we need to know about this character right off the bat, just from his mannerisms You know, from the way he expertly moves through the situation, taking control, and even when something that happens that is out of his control, it is of no consequence to him. He is always in control. Cool. He immediately takes down his own man for the mistake that he made and the stagecoach driver without hesitation. And so we know, straight out with the fact, Ben Wade's a killer. Yeah. He may be a cool customer, but he kills who he has to when he has to. And the way it's always done, like you always worry that you're crossing a line into cartoonish evil, and it's just never something that has even come up here. Ben Wade is such a nuanced character from the start, and he's just elegantly played. I can't say enough fantastic things about Glenn Ford in this movie. And we see it contrasted immediately, because Dan's only concern is keeping his cattle And then his kid's safe. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the main thing that he is really concerned about. Even though his kids are fascinated by the very cool robbery and the cool outlaws, you know, his concern is to keep them safe. And, of course, not to lose his livelihood because he's having money troubles, of course. This is a good way to introduce our movie. Our two characters are automatically At at odds. They're, you know, in the same area eye to eye. I like this scene. I like the the way it plays out. I, I think we're going to talk about a, a much longer version of it later, but that doesn't really take away from the impact of, of this. Me coming from watching that film first, both scenes are still incredibly effective. I really love the way this one plays out and it, and it sets everything up. You know, they, we see once they meet, Ben Wade has a moral compass. Like he may be an outlaw, but there's no reason to kill a rancher and his kids because they saw you commit a crime. Yeah. And we don't know if the rest of his gang might feel that way. But Ben Wade is in charge 100%. So he just takes the horses.
1: Yeah, and they respect him, those men.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you can see why. Yeah, you can see why. He's got a 10 in charisma.
1: What's the guy's name that's his, his? Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. He's like all about Ben Wade.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely see that. He's a guy who's willing to follow his, like he's a rabid dog, willing to follow his master into hell. Like yeah, that's it
1: right there. A rabid dog. That's a great way to put it. Yeah,
0: and and I this is a character who's a lot of fun in both versions. A really fantastic work. The actor in this one is Richard Jekyll. Uh, he plays Charlie Prince, the full name of the character. And I mean, he's really good here. He really is. There's a, there's a lot there's a lot going on with acting in this movie. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention earlier, by the way, that this is directed by Delmore Daves who's a bit of an underrated director of this era. He actually did make some very cool movies uh, around the time. He made a film called Broken Arrow in 1950, and that is the first pro-Indian Western. Mm-hmm. It does not like have an incredibly negative view of the Native Americans where they're just bloodthirsty savages. So th- that is something to, to keep in mind. He's got a number of underrated films. You, you can look him up and... And catch a little bit of his catalog. You know, he made a classic film here, but he didn't really go on to have like a big name career or anything like that, but definitely underrated filmmaker. And he gets fantastic performances out of everybody in this movie.
1: So uh, his sons have to watch him, have to watch their father kind of cower a little bit, at least in their eyes. He's kind of cowering towards these lawless men. How do you think that affects the character?
0: Well, it puts a tremendous strain on Dan. Yeah. You know, because Dan... You know, Dan doesn't want to look weak, but he's not stupid either. Like, you just can't point a gun at Ben Wade and demand what's yours. You have to negotiate with a man like mm-hmm. that for what's yours because he's a killer. You know, at, at any moment he could tire of any conversation you're giving him and just shoot you dead and take whatever you have. I'm pretty sure it's happened a lot to to Ben Wade. So I, I like the way he plays it, but like, and and the way that it's portrayed is really good because you can see that struggle within him, like yeah. him trying to look his toughest while not getting on ben wade's bad side but he's gotta get his herd of cattle like yeah. i he, like he has to be very That's clear for him. I, I i need that like i need that and what is interesting is that ben wade can see that like he can look down he can see how skinny the cattle are and he can see the desperation in dan's eyes so he's got no issue with like i don't need your cattle you can have them back i just i need you to give me some time and despite their well-laid plan um they take away the horses so they can ride into the town.
1: Yeah. And even his wife gives him a little shit for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, people are down on Dan. Yeah. They they are. And he's he's upbeat about his situation in this one. Like, he still is confident about who he is and everything around him. But a lot of people really question how he's handled things, which I think is about the entire point of the movie. Like, the way he handles things is correct. You know, if he didn't do this here... Ben Wade or Charlie Prince just could have shot him down. His kids could have been Mm -hmm. without a father. So what he did, uh, you know, I mean, he makes the right call here, even if it doesn't look great. You know, sometimes, sometimes you got to take an L. I mean, that's the long and the short of it.
1: And you get even more about Ben Wade's character with the next scene in the bar with the bartender. Yeah. She serves all the men and then Ben Wade basically orders them away and they go away. Yeah, they ride the next town. Yeah. And he's left there with her. Mm Mm-hmm. And they have a great exchange. They do.
0: They have instant chemistry.
1: And just, it's like love at first sight.
0: Yeah, it it really is. And I just, I mean, he just turns in like Casanova. Like I said, this is a character with like a 10 in charisma.
1: Dude, I was ready to fuck him. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no,
0: I mean, it was it was a really well done scene, to be honest. Another one where I mean the acting is just so on point in this movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Ben Wade to stay. Until you watch that scene. Like if I described to somebody, they wouldn't be like, we well, should have left. What a dope. Like, mm, he had a reason to take a chance. You know, mm-hmm. he had a reason to take a chance. And, you know, he he did. And I like it because I never really question that motivation. I'm okay with a character doing a dumb thing in a movie if I know why they fucking did it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's something that this screenplay really does quite well. The screenplay is full of nice little quirks and everything like that. And that's one thing that I, I very much appreciated. This is an incredibly well-written film. Even today, This, if you remade this movie directly as maybe a low-budget movie, it'd probably be a fantastic thriller. Because it's a really, really good, tight script.
1: Let's talk about the movie's pace. Like, it is moving.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, that's why I mentioned. It's paced well. Yeah, I mentioned that kind of at the 30-minute mark. I said, we are moving and grooving. Mm-hmm. Because that, that scene flows really nicely. And then once we come out of there, we have those detective, the detective, the posse coming out. Of course, that's what they did. We didn't mention that. Once they got to the saloon, uh, Ben Wade expertly sends the Pinkertons all the way out the wrong direction. That's why they got a chance to grab a drink and why he had a chance to get laid. Yeah. But it doesn't work out for them because Dan actually tips them off about what happened. So they come back and the whole thing falls apart because he stayed behind for the girl. He's able to run into Dan in the bar, which is a very, very cool scene. Yeah. Probably why it's uh, replicated almost exactly in the 2007 version mm-hmm. when he's in the bar, their quick little conversation where he wants, he's trying to distract Ben Wade and he wants cash. <laughs> and you know what? Ben Wade's totally cool with it. Because he's like, you know what, man? I, I fucked your shit. You know? And I just got some. It ain't that big a deal. And you know, Wade is so cool about it. He throws him, I believe, $5 is initial thing. Sorry for that. Well, you wasted my time. You're right. You know, throws him the two bucks. His kid's time, two more. You know, because Ben is just like, he is no enemy of a hardworking guy. He robs banks because they're fucking rich. He's got no, he does not want to rob somebody who's fucking destitute. That idea sickens him. Like, he never thinks about trying to take anything from Dan. And so I like this scene that the money doesn't matter to him at all. He's like, you know what, farmer? It is what it is, right? Or rancher, it is what it is. And I love the way it's played. And my favorite to end it is, why don't you give me $5 extra? What's that for? Making me nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, I mean, that's some very good, very good dialogue. Incredibly well acted. It's a classic scene. It's why they repeat it. And I think I like this version better, actually. I really like the way it plays out. And of course, that moment when he hears about the $5, the jig is up. The marshal comes up behind him. And we kick this movie into high gear. Yeah. Ben Wade has been captured, and he's got to get. Where are they going? Constant. Waiting. Um. Contention. 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 I was
1: thinking construction. No, <laughs> construction. that's not right. Construction. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so they're going to be they're going to be building a new Taco Bell <laughs> just outside of, of Yuma. So that's when they hatch up the plan to go to Contention. Catch a three ten to Yuma.
1: Yeah. They go through all these different scenarios, and that's the one that they choose. How do you feel about this, this movie's cinematography?
0: The black and white cinematography now, is absolutely striking.
1: We were a little spoiled because we got to see probably the Criterion. Yeah,
0: the Criterion, like, 1080 rip. It was
1: beautiful. I
0: ripped it off my own Criterion. But I was really just amazed by it. Like, there were so many times I would look at a shot and go, Jesus Christ, man, that's amazing cinematography. Yeah. Like, today, and I, I told you, I was like... Yeah, I mean, I know there's sets when they go inside, but there's none of the outdoor action is ever on a set, I don't believe. Everything is outdoors, and it gives it such a great look. You know, that's one of my chief complaints about the searchers, is all that stuff they actually do outdoors looks good. But there's so many times they would use a set, and it just, in HD, it looks so phony. I can only imagine what the 4K version would look like. To know that they did all that mostly on location, only use sets when they were, you know, indoors, makes the movie just look so fantastic. Holds up really today. I mean, it's truly amazing.
1: Although most Westerns were produced in color at the time, Delmore Davies and Charles Lawton Jr. shot in black and white. Lawton used red filters on the lenses to give the landscape a parched look like it was a drought.
0: Yeah, you feel it. Mm -hmm. Without color, you feel how dry everything is. And that's interesting. Both films really do well. They're very dry, dusty, dusty movies, which makes cinematography look better when the characters move around and all this dust from the dry earth just... Flies into the air. I yeah. love that. I mean, it all looks fantastic.
1: Okay, so Marshall captures Ben Wade. Oh, that's right. After that, Ben Ben goes to um, Dan's house.
0: Yeah, but you know, oh, before he goes there, actually, there is a quick sequence there where we find out. Well, we know that Ben finds out directly about Dan's financial straits
1: mm-hmm. and how
0: bad it is. Like he's basically asking a buddy for money, which leads him to having to take the this job for. Mm-hmm. How much Two, is it? $200. $200. $200 is all this is for. And I think $200, by the way, if you're curious, today they would be like $5,700, I think.
1: Oh, okay. Fifty-seven
0: dollars just under $6,000. The number I got was from 2020, so inflation could have made that way worse. But either way, like it was a good chunk of change. So they have to go to Ben's house to do the exchange. And we get a, a really interesting dinner sequence.
1: Yeah.
0: Because Ben Wade immediately impresses- The wife. Yeah, Alice. <laughs> the wife's
1: like- with yes.
0: The, with the 10 charisma.
1: You are right. Yeah. But I think I like you.
0: Yeah. See, he's he's a charming guy. He's that's so how, charming. Yeah. Like I said, that that charisma is really what gets him everywhere. And I mean, it's a really interesting scene again, you know, because it opens up with the kids saying, are we not saying grace? Do murderers not need to say grace? And I, I think that's an interesting way to attack the scene uh, as opposed to everyone trying to be awkward. They had really fun dialogue to get us to this calamity of this murderer in this situation of just a normal day for Dan and his family, mm-hmm. and he's just inserted there, and he's completely dominating the situation, as much as uh, Dan does not want it that way. It's another classic scene here. I, I really love the way it, it plays out, and we learn more about the interaction between both the, both of our characters here.
1: Yeah, um, I think Ben learns a lot more about Dan and his situation and how sure. his family views him, and it's. The dynamic between those two is just amazing. It yeah. could have been the whole movie could have just been them two, and I I would have Pretty been much happy. is. <laughs> well, there's people in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's
0: yeah, but it is. I mean, like I said, the two people on the poster. It's, these are two guys' the movies about. Yeah, and it's another scene that drives home the the real importance of of their relationship. So our our party consists of. By the way, it's a a Dan and Alex Potter, right? Yeah. As well as um, the stagecoach guy.
1: What was his name? Byron. Stillwater, something like that? Something like that.
0: Stillwater. So he goes out there. The one thing I think is interesting is when they decide it's time to go, they are just in contention, right? Mm-hmm. The next scene, we're just there. So the the journey was effortless to to get there. The entire bulk of the movie from here on out is going to take place in a hotel room. Yeah. And th- this is what you just talked about. This is just two guys. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and, and it's a very interesting scene. I mean, a very interesting sequence because it's a bunch of scenes, you know, because we get there and we get the very first time that Ben is going to test Dan, the issue with the window, right? Yeah. And, and listen, we, we, we've all, <laughs> it's a very mundane situation, but the movie is playing that situation to get where we have this violent killer thrown in the mix. You have to like keep maybe keep your eye on your kid while you're doing something. Well, that's kind of what he's doing here, except it's a violent killer. So he's got to keep his gun on him while he's trying to put the broomstick in the window, and he can't quite get it done. And I love it. Ben tries to go for the gun. And he immediately puts him down and points the gun right at him. Dan does not relent at all. He had to test him. You know, he even says that. I had to see what you had. So he knows like that's he's he's just not going to be able to take him down easily. Yeah, he's no he's no slouch. And you know I like that. You know every everything builds. You know after that. He can't do the physical, so he has to try to attack him mentally. You know, he goes at him with everything he knows about him financially, and I love all that too. Your wife, I bet she could be so pretty with the right dresses. You know that whole sequence?
1: Oh yeah, that is.
0: Oh, I I love that whole entire. I mean, bit. he's
1: trying to wear him down, and mm-hmm. he almost succeeds. Like yeah. you can tell, especially when he starts offering him more money than he's ever known. Yeah, he he starts
0: a thousand dollars. You know, that's yeah. big cash. That'll,
1: that'll take care of all his it, problems. Yeah,
0: that really will. It'll take care of everything.
1: Everybody will be happy, but he doesn't relent.
0: Yeah. It's, it's the, such
1: a great character. Yeah,
0: it's the last thing an outlaw wants to run into. An honest man. Yeah. And that's that's what he is. Absolutely. An honest man. I took $200 for this job, and I'm going to deliver you to justice. Yeah. That is what I am going to do. I, I love the way the interaction is played, and- and like I said, it is kind of weird to think about how much time we, we do spend in a hotel room, which <laughs> is sort of interesting because we, I mean, we're there a lot, you know. We see a little bit of action downstairs with Charlie down there. Yeah. He gets wind because we have a funeral procession that comes through and it's for the stagecoach driver mm-hmm. that uh, Ben shot earlier. And, and Ben sh- shows a little regret here when he has to look out, see the aftermath of that cold-blooded kill he made earlier, his family grieving over him. And that almost literally comes back to bite him as his brother comes into the room and attempts to kill Ben. Mm -hmm. And I like that sequence because Dan jumps in there instantly and disarms him, wrestles the gun away from him, but a shot's fired. But he saved Ben's life. But unless Charlie downstairs knows- That
1: That somebody's upstairs.
0: Exactly. And so this throws us right into the third act. The tension begins to go up because he's getting the gang and they're coming back.
1: Yeah, they know (laughs) he's here. Yeah.
0: Yeah he's off and he's, he's going to get them. And like, they're basically trying to run out the clock and hope that it gets to 310 before they return. But we both know that's not going to happen. They try to get the, the sheriff. He's out of town. He's transporting another fugitive. So they are on their own.
1: Yeah. And the gang, the gang's outside and, um, the rich guy from the carriage, he, I can't remember his name, but he actually, Butterfield. uh, Butterfield. Yeah. He, he hires a bunch of goons. To, like, fend off the, the the outlaws. Yeah. And once the outlaws show up, they start walking out. They're like, fuck this. I ain't getting killed. Yeah. We, we didn't sign up for this. We thought it was only going to be a few guys. It's a whole bunch of... It's a gang of people. Yeah. There's no way. So they all walk out, leaving, like, Butterfield and all those guys alone.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that the movie expertly takes a sharp turn because... The gang engages with our heroes, and Alex saves Ben and takes a bullet
1: mm-hmm. and has to
0: stay back, and this doesn't go out work well for him, does it not? No. We get a very, very interesting shot where the camera creeps up from the balcony, from the from the steps, and then we see the silhouette of Alex dangling from the chandelier. Yeah. And it's not gory, it's not bloody, but it lets us know our characters are in deep shit. Mm-hmm. And I love the way it's done. It immediately ratches up the tension. And at that point, you know, Ben's offer looks pretty good. (laughs) It really does. You know, because, I mean, Alex was our comic relief character. I mean, he was there basically cracking jokes and and wanting alcohol the whole time. You know, that that was his entire purpose was to sort of lighten up the movie. And here he was brutally murdered. Yeah. So right then and there, (laughs) it puts the fear of God in Butterfield and he's out. But not Dan. Nope. Not Dan.
1: He's there by himself. He
0: took that. It doesn't matter, you know? His his wife comes to give him a pep talk.
1: Yeah, his wife shows up. Yeah. Like, she's like, what the fuck's going on here?
0: Yeah. Like, this isn't something you need to be doing. But he explains to her, and, and Ben is able to hear, why he has to do this. Mm-hmm. Why it has to be done. Because just there's certain things that have to, and, and he's going to go and get it done. He's a man of honor. He's going to stick to it, no matter what. And- you can just see the way Ben is able to look at him as things continue to es- escalate. He has so much respect for Dan because I'm sure when you're a scoundrel, that's all you see other fucking outlaws and horrible people. You know, for him to be able to see a good, honorable man, you can just see that. Like, there's no reason for me to ever. Cross paths with this guy, but here I am, and he doesn't deserve to die here. Yeah. He's out here doing the right thing, trying to help his family survive. He's the last person that needs to die out here today, and and, and you can definitely tell that because when things start to kick into high gear and the train is coming, and they've got to get out there. There are Wade's gang up on the the roofs of all the buildings. You know, they have a great position on them, and they only get one chance to to, to really break. And you know, right before the cattle come, there, there's a nice little moment wave to him huh? this is dan and ben talking there's a train yep well right on time i won't have to wait there's still time to get
1: out of this dan there's still time <laughs>
0: the street. Here we go. Now. They're headed for a train. Just like that using that cattle to cross the street. And so th- we get a nice sequence where Ben is going to try to dodge everything going through the town. Yeah. You know, and you know, Ben is along for the ride, you know, and and you can tell from that early on like he's like this is your last chance to get out of that, you know. He he is doing everything he can to make sure this guy gets out of it safely. You know, he does not want to make his kids orphans or fatherless. Like they're too, Well, I guess their mother could die of grief. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's guess. very
1: dramatic of you, Shakespearean. <laughs> almost.
0: So so we get them running all throughout the town, of in all the yeah. bullets, them taking them out, and they get right up into the train, mm-hmm. and they're getting up close to it, and we also see Ben's gang closing in from the other side.
1: Drop, Ben! Drop, Ben! Drop!
0: Come on, Ben! I'll kill him! They've got the shot. Ben won't let him take it.
1: Let's just get out of here. Us? how do I know you'll jump? You'll have to trust me on this one. Jump!
0: Just like that, they make it on the train.
1: I think you do it, Prince dies. Yeah, Charlie yeah, he does Prince shoot Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, Dan does shoot Charlie. He goes to, you don't know if he dies, but I mean, he got shot in the, in the 1880s. Yeah,
1: I know, exactly. In the 1880s, that makes a hole in you.
0: So, I do want to say, It is a bit cheesy, but I really love that he makes it on the train. This is right there. He sees his wife and he waves to her. And right as he waves, the goddamn rain starts coming down, Mm -hmm. answering all of his problems. The drought is over. The day is saved. Hit the music. Yeah. to you. That's how you end a fucking movie. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, way. absolutely. That's, yeah, that excitement I brought right there—that's exactly how I felt sitting right there, like yeah.
1: <laughs> I was yeah, stoked I to make it. Made too. it. I, I really enjoyed this movie. <laughs> yeah,
0: every now that that happens, where like there's a movie I haven't seen, and I'm just like getting into it. You know, the same thing happened in The Poseidon Adventure because I didn't expect much from it. You know, and I was almost like, yeah, you dive underwater and save him. You know, this, this movie was pretty similar. Like I was, I was really marking out for this end sequence. I loved it. <laughs>
1: This film was chosen in 2012 to be memorialized by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. As it should be. Yeah. Glenn Ford was originally offered the role of Dan, but turned it down to play Ben Wade. That's a good call. Yeah. Uh, Van Heflin's performance was widely praised, but Glenn Ford's wasn't. They believe the film suffered because of Ford's inability to be nasty. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's the thing. You He was
1: really charming.
0: Yeah. The last thing you see while while doing this is that how often like critics, contemporary critics, you know, just get it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys who are, are who were out then, they just they completely missed the mark on a movie. Don't even see it. So I ended up really enjoying this film a ton. I really I, I would definitely go back and rewatch this. It's a super high recommend I mean, I really can't stress that enough. If you've never seen this version of 310 to Yuma, you're really missing out. It's a, it's a great Western with uh, great performances, great characterization, fantastic cinematography. It
1: holds up. There's a it's reason it's a Criterion film. 1957, and it holds up.
0: It, it really does. It really does. I think this is, if you're, even if you're like a budding screenwriter, you can definitely watch this movie and learn a lot of lessons from it. You know, it's a great way to. Show a bad guy. uh, Westerns are all about your bad guys. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a great bad guy if you're making a Western. And this has one of the best bad guys in cinema history. So that's it right there.
1: But we move on to a movie that's also very good.
0: That's right. That's right. So in the year of our Lord, 2007, we were blessed with a remake of this film. It's directed by one James Mangold, starring Vanessa Shaw, Alan Tudyk, Dallas Roberts, Ben Foster, the man himself, Gretchen Mole, Peter Fonda, Christian Bale, and Russell Crowe. And of course, 310 to Yuma. Probably cheaper just to let me rob the damn thing. Are you upset I don't go more Pardo when I do that? (laughs) Christian Bale, Russell Crowe, musical guest 10,000 Maniacs.
1: Good job. Libraries over four hundred thousand dollars
0: in losses. Y'all noticed it didn't make. Like I said, I, I saw this movie uh, the week it we came out. Ben Wade convicted and hanged, and we will. We got very good reviews when it came out. It uh, did not do that well. This thing came out in September. Hmm. By the way, it came out in September, which is a really dead area for the box office. Like a memory serves me, it was like number one with like fourteen million dollars or something like that. Like a number one movie, but that's not a lot of money. I think it only ended up like crawling to like $75 million, which is a shame because this is an excellent fucking remake. Yeah, it is. This is exactly what we talk about when we are talking about good remakes. It's not a reboot. This is a remake. And it's gritty. Yes, it is absolutely gritty. A much grittier film. And and the first one's kind of gritty in its own way. So this is a grittier, darker, and bigger film. And it really is what, like I said, we want because- This gives us Mangold's vision on this tale. Mm -hmm. It is not just a straight direct remake. No. He is changing things. He is putting his own spin and his message on this story. But
1: respecting the original
0: movie. That's the key thing, Meredith. He is 100% respecting that film. He never shits on it in any way, shape, or form. He just changes some of the things that he would like to see and, and like his version of it. It's 100% what I want. I I know we we bashed this film earlier, but the Omen remake was a good example because it just remade that other movie Mm -hmm. without adding anything to it. And there is so much respect in this one while so many more new elements are weaved in to make it feel like a fresh story even though I I just watched another version of it. Yeah. It really does feel different but the same. <laughs> same but different, but still same.
1: Okay. Uh- <laughs> it doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> you know, it it really is uh what what we like I said what we want to see from in any kind of remake. This movie gives us a little bit more background before we get into
1: yeah, it. Yeah, on Dan.
0: Yeah, cuz we immediately open up with a fire on in his property barn. in the barn started by the Hollanders. Mm -hmm. And that's who he owes the money to in in this version. Uh, Well, in the old one, we just assumed it was the bank. They're really not given a a characterization. But in this one, they are. So one thing that is incredibly different in this one is this movie is more about the relationship between Dan and his son. Yeah. And that is really something the remake isn't. uh, I mean, the original film, there's a little bit of that there. You can see his kids are interested in the action and the outlaw and everything like that. But I mean... His son does not respect him at all.
1: At all. Yeah. I mean, from he, the very beginning. Yeah. Is he, he's actually the one that gives us a lot of the backstory yeah. initially is he, he's got such disdain for his father. Absolutely. And it's because they're broke and unhappy and starving, and, and starving. Yeah. 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 They're hungry. And he blames him for it.
0: Yeah. He absolutely does. And that that is something that is a, a different thread that is weaved throughout this movie. I mean, that is the, the through line, I think. In the old movie, they had Alice, the wife, come out, and her role is, is much more downplayed here. All of that is basically sort of given to the son. Mm-hmm. I think it makes for a richer narrative throughout. But, but Dan is truly like a hopeless character in this version of the story. He is a Civil War veteran who lost a leg. And so that automatically makes him different. You know, him being disabled, there's certain things that he's just not able to do.
1: Yeah, like run.
0: Exactly. That's that's sort of a big deal. You know, and, and this kind of changes his whole entire life, you know, at what from what we had in the previous film. And the way Bale plays it, I, I think, is, is really well done. You know, Bale is like bringing out the Oscar material here to show this man at the absolute, like, End of his desperation.
1: Because it's been three years, because yeah. he says it's been three, three years, years three since years. the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Since he lost his leg. So he's been through a lot. A lot happened in three le- Think about COVID. Exactly. Yeah. COVID was it's still technically going on, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh and it's been three years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it has been. It has been that long.
1: Yeah. So a lot, a lot of suffering.
0: A lot of suffering. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's just chuckle it away. <laughs> So after we get this sequence, we move right into the robbery. Mm -hmm. And this is a much, much bigger scene in this version. It is a long, intricate action sequence with multiple people dying. A Gatling gun. A Gatling gun, armored stagecoach, and an explosion. Yeah. Peter Fonda, at one point, shoots a horse that has dynamite strapped to it. And it fucking explodes. Yeah,
1: it was so cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was it was like right out of Red Dead. And it was it was it was it was very it was pretty cool. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. I mean, that was it was something I didn't expect to see another a couple of realistic explosions in Western. But here we are. I actually really like the way it was done. And it's a cool scene. Mm-hmm. I, I like the way that plays out. The way they added more action was a fantastic idea.
1: Because it's like an armored carriage.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, they, they really, really went through a lot of trouble on this one. With the Gatling gun and the armor, Like, it takes a lot of work to get into that thing.
1: Well, that's how you knew there was a ton of cash in there, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, might as well be like a, a fucking flag on the top of it saying, try to rob me. Yeah. So uh, we get that. Pretty much everybody is killed off. And then from there, except for, uh, I think, McElroy, played by Peter Fonda. And we get introduced to Ben Wade's gang. And the first guy who gets to say anything is is ben foster playing charlie in this version
1: so good
0: morning pinkerton he absolutely is i love ben foster i expect you heard of me
1: he kind of chews scenery a little bit but i love it oh in
0: the best way though in the best way in the best way he's a scene stealer charlie prince he really is he's a scene stealer in a movie with peter fonda russell crowe and christian bale yeah He's just—he's just great. And Peter Fonda growling here is really good too. Listen to this coming out. Bend your hair, an all gray, Byer. Dog, gotta help wait A lot of hatred in that line.
1: Love it. Well, when you look at all this, y'all spared no expense this time, Byron. You Gotta say though, it's probably cheaper just to let me rob the damn thing.
0: So Russell Crowe has a bit of a different take on the character here. Mm-hmm. And he is still Russell Crowe. So he is still able to sociopath. be... sociopath. Yeah, yeah. And that that's what's sort of different. He is the darker character that Glenn Ford really couldn't like do. This. He very much is in this one. But there is the coolness and that charisma to him as well.
1: There is charisma. He's like a cult leader.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to look at him. Because the, the, the men are, are pretty loyal. They really are.
1: Yeah, especially uh, Charlie.
0: Charlie's absolutely loyal. In He's this
1: more loyal... He's more evidently loyal in this one. Because
0: he keeps the other men in line to be loyal to the boss. Yeah, because
1: they all want to bail on him.
0: Yeah, at a certain point in the movie, they're like, ah, fuck it, let's just go. And they're like, no, you know. I mean, the, the the way he is, he's much more of the rabid dog. And, like, not only will he follow into hell, he'll probably lead into hell. Yeah. You know, he, he is a much better version of this character. Really fleshed out, because he's given a lot more to do in this movie than charlie prince was given in the previous film and ben foster tackles it expertly he really does yeah so uh, after this um we get everything that we got in the previous film ben wade sees uh dan and his kids and in this movie you know his son is immediately more interested in (laughs) what's happening the second he takes that guy down he has it like a compliment like man he's fast Like, he just thinks he's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) And poor poor Dan can't really do a thing about it. You know, he's immediately telling, boys, back up slowly. Like, trying to get them out of the situation. Very similar from the last movie. Trying to keep his kids safe and his cattle. Mm -hmm. And he's a little more aggressive here, actually, when he does have the conversation with Ben. Because Charlie has to step in and go like, careful, rancher." (laughs) that's Ben Wade you're talking to. Yeah. Cause he's just like, I need my cattle. And then he even reiterates like, that may be the case, but I still need my cattle. And in this movie, it's even more evident cause they did a great job getting cows who were pretty lean mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, they look a little sickly. So it, it does a really nice job, you know, just like in the last movie, it, it works out pretty much the same way. You know, they take the horses, they give up the, the cows and they leave the kids and everything there. So they have to, Eventually walk back as they head into town.
1: And there's some similar dialogue too. There
0: is. There is a lot of uh, yeah. dialogue taken from the original movie, and you'll find that throughout the film.
1: And and even up to this point, it's the movie's very faithful to the remake. I mean, to the original.
0: Yeah, it very much is. I mean, we get the addition of the Pinkerton character played by Peter Fonda, and uh, that's McElroy. And I think he's a good
1: addition. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a bounty hunter. I, yeah,
0: I really do because he lets us know a little bit a little bit more about Ben Wade and his character and. You know, anytime you get to see Peter Fonda show up in a Western, I, I, I'm really all all about that. But from this point on in the movie, everything kind of plays out kind of like it did in, in the original. The mm-hmm. guys go to the bar. He's taken by the bartender. I don't think this scene works as well because Russell Crowe is not quite as charming. But Vanessa Shaw, who plays the girl in this one, is fantastic. I think yeah. she's really good. She's really good. And the, I think the best scene in this one, in this version, is him sketching like her backside as uh, after they've had sex.
1: Mm-hmm. I think,
0: you know, that kind of shows like a softer side of, of like Ben Wade. Like, you know, him, I, I don't believe it's as effective as in the original movie, but I still like it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, they flush a little bit more of her character out.
0: Yeah. She's given a bit more to do. I mean, that, that's sort of it right there. All, every, almost everyone except for Alice has given more to do in this movie.
1: They capture Ben Wade. Like they didn't. Yeah, like And, the, and the scene
0: that plays out before even the same dialogue with the, you five dollars for making me nervous. I mean, it's almost the. I mean, the mm-hmm. exact same, except yeah, maybe a, a, a word or two. It plays out almost exactly the same here.
1: They go back to uh, Ben's house. I mean, Dan's house.
0: And once again, another sequence is very, very similar to the original movie, but also incredibly well played. The charisma is on display for Russell Crowe here, but he is far more menacing than Glenn Ford. Mm-hmm. But he's—you can see—he's tapered that back here. Doesn't want to be that way in front of the kids and the and the woman. Right, Like, that's the way he looks at it. I, I don't want to be that quite unhinged. Even when he has a moment just with Alice, like, he still isn't, you know, aggressive in any way, shape, or form. He's still very charming. You know, he never, he never, ever pushes a line because that's not what Ben Wade's about. He's not about hurting women and children. Yeah. You know, that the, the character still does carry that that code, even if he is still prodding the lawmen. He, like, he doesn't, like, he's a bully that picks on lawmen. <laughs> and I like that because he doesn't really pick on Dan too much. You know, he directs his comments towards, you know, Peter Fonda's character quite a bit. Yeah. So, and, and I think that works out pretty well. As a matter of fact, at one point in the dinner, he tells everybody just not to talk to him, which is fucking
1: impossible. Yeah, because Peter Fonda gets shot.
0: Yeah, yeah, he he does, he does. After we get all this, you know, we we set up the plan. They, they send the, the decoy wagon in the complete other direction. And from here on, you know, the other movie, we just teleport to contention, right? Mm-hmm. And this movie is all about the journey. It's all about that trip to contention. And that's where this completely is a, a different sort of
1: film. Yeah, you, you get a lot of campfires and a lot of talking. And- yeah,
0: and I think you get extra action and, and extra things added onto it. And I think one of my favorite things that gets a- added on is where we find out the darkness of Ben Wade. And to me, that comes into play in the very first night. Gonna hang me in the morning. This is a scene where Before Tucker, one of the guys in the posse, is annoying Ben Wade and keeping him up at night by singing this the song about his execution. Tucker, by the way, is the guy who it's lit up uh, Dan's barn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the way so they
1: got issues.
0: He's a fucking asshole. And Ben Wade can see the that.
1: So if I got to be up with well, him, you're damn well going to be up with me, too. In Wade. They're gonna hang me in the morning, fortnight is done. Hang me in the morning, never see the sun.
0: Passage of time, surely nothing bad happened. Wet that sound. Well, it's all audio. It sounds way grosser, doesn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, That sounds disgusting. So, yeah, Benway just fucking stabs that guy with a goddamn fork and just kills him fucking like a cold-blooded killer that he is. Yeah. And that's something we never even get close to in the original movie. It establishes Ben as far more dangerous as in this movie. And Russell Crowe eats that up.
1: Yeah, it speaks to the tone of the movie. Yeah, it
0: does. It'd be, it'd
1: be in a darker
0: film, like it, because there's casualties that are directly due to Ben on this journey. And, and this is the first one. And I, I, how do you, do you do you like that
1: brutality? I do. Um, I actually prefer this movie slightly over the original, but very slightly, because the original is so good. But I do like that. Ben is more of a uh, sociopath, that he's a cold-blooded killer well with principles.
0: Yeah. You hang me. Sociopath, singing and the song. <laughs> Mocking the Dead Man. It's a great performance by Russell Crowe. Yeah. It really is. Actors brought their A-game in this one as well. <laughs> so in the next sequence, a McElroy is killed. A moment that I, that I like because he taunts Ben Wade about his mother. Basically, he, Peter Fawn's character told everybody to move forward. I got him. I'll watch him. So he gets close to this dangerous killer. And then he mocks his mother while not having himself in a ready stance at all times. How did he think that was going to work out for him?
1: No kidding.
0: Eventually, Ben just grabs him and throws him over the cliffside and takes his gun and is able to get control of the group because they assume the lawman had it in control. Yeah, he was a bounty hunter. Yeah, he completely fucked that up. Well, I guess he's a Pinkerton. But he completely fucked that up. That's all I could think of was a history of violence. How could you fuck that up? That's all (laughs) I thought of in that. Like, all you had to do was just keep your gun on him. And that allows Ben Wade to escape for the first time. A very short-lived escape, though. He gets the gun on everybody, but he is actually ambushed himself by William. Ben, uh, pardon me, Dan's son has been following this whole time. Mm Mm-hmm. And he comes up, has the gun on him. And even in this moment, when Dan is just like, You can you keep your gun on him, son? Like, he his son, His son immediately turns back and is like, a shit side better than you can. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. No. He's just stepping on his dad's nuts. <laughs> so after busting his dad's chops one more time, they're able to recapture Ben Wade. How do you feel about like William attending on this whole journey?
1: Well, I, I like that whole scene because he he puts the gun up to Ben's ear, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, Ben's like, you're not going to shoot. And he shoots
0: yeah, immediately. Yeah. Russell, Russell Crowe's expression is He's priceless. Like, oh, like, oh shit. Yeah, I was wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just that look on his eye, like, okay, <laughs> never and mind. And he even
1: brings it up to uh, Dan <laughs> yeah, later. Yeah. He, he says, I really thought he was going to shoot. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's like like oh shit. <laughs> you know, like I I Russell Crowe so good at this. Mm-hmm. He really is. And he's such a, a sort of contrast to to Bale's performance cuz Bale's really like bringing out all that full Oscar stuff and Russell Crowe is almost sort of almost a little downplayed but in the best kind of
1: mm-hmm.
0: way. Yeah. Well, you know, Bale's putting it on up. It, you know, just, I I'd love the way that the two really play off each other even if I do think the chemistry between the two actors was stronger in the original film.
1: I agree.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I really think it was. They don't quite have the same relationship, which I think hurts the end. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We're getting there. We're having too much fun talking about this fucking movie. So he is captured. But again, this is only Mm short-lived because the next night there is an Apache attack, an Apache ambush.
1: Yeah, another scene I really like because it shows it, it shows the killer instinct that Ben yeah, has. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You don't fuck with him. Yeah. He, the
1: the Apaches are, are you know getting some gaining some ground on these people. Yeah, they like, kill a couple of guys. Yeah,
0: Because there's no soldiers. Left. I mean, Dan is a soldier, but you know he he is hobbled, obviously, so he can't do some things. And I mean, Butterfield's worthless, and and yeah. the doctor—he's not a real doctor. He's a vet. Alan Tudyk, who we haven't talked about at all. God, I love him. In a very small role. He had a very funny scene early in the movie where he has to pull a bullet out of Peter Fonda. And Peter Fonda, what kind of doctor are you? And you can see all the uh, veterinary diagrams. He's really good. And he is not comedic relief as this character was in the previous movie. But he still lightens up the tone, but only by just being a decent person. Mm-hmm. He's not really comedic, except for a couple of times he chastises Tucker for being a piece of shit. Uh, but like I said, there there's no soldiers left. So Ben has to Ben's not gonna let the kid die. So Ben goes out there and he doesn't want to die himself. He goes out there and he makes light work of the Apache.
1: Oh God, yeah. He yeah. dispatches them.
0: Yeah he, easily. He he really does. He really does. And it, it's a nice brutal scene. You can definitely see that, you know, he is somebody that you don't fuck with at all. I love it. He comes back, he says, give me the keys, and Dan gives him a great fuck you and throws the keys into the darkness, into the grass. And he eats boot because of it. You know, Ben knocks him out. <laughs> he wakes up. Where'd he go? Where do you think he went? And I loved it. Everyone's like, well, I guess that's the end of us. <laughs> and Dad's like, Johnny, to get paid? I don't know what you guys are here for. But we could go get this motherfucker. So <laughs> they keep in tow and they head to the the Chinese laborer camp where they're basically forcing the Chinese to build the railroad.
1: Yeah. This is where we run into one of the Wilson brothers.
0: We run into one of the Wilson brothers. We run into Luke Wilson with, uh, my
1: favorite, from? my my favorite Wilson brother. <laughs> I love him. I,
0: I don't know why. I don't know if anybody loves Luke Wilson. I, I love him. I had no idea you yeah. liked Luke Wilson. Yeah, he's, he's the, great. He's the lesser Wilson brother. He's
1: great though. But
0: Owen is the superior one.
1: Everything he does is great.
0: Every no, that's a lie. No,
1: everything he your does your pants
0: is great. have burst into flames. that, not, that is not true. I, I, hey, I've seen the Goldfinch. All right, he's not good in that.
1: Well, I haven't seen that. So no one
0: should know. see the Goldfinch. I read that book and I watched that movie. I've never been more bored. <laughs> the worst, maybe I might, we'll maybe cover that worst movie to screen. Yeah, because you book like to that adaptation. book. I love that book. I thought it was fantastic. I, I toured through it and I watched the movie and I was like, <sighs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm I've I, <laughs> lit by Roger Deakins. Such a beautiful, gorgeous, boring movie. But I digress. We're not talking about that thing.
1: No, not yet.
0: No, one day, one day, one day. So anyway, he's captured by... The foreman of the labor camp, mm-hmm. and it's Luke Wilson and uh, someone else, and that guy actually he got his, I think his kid brother.
1: It's the dad. The dad wants revenge for his brother.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. That's what it was. So he's he, he has a personal issue with Ben Wade, and so when our gang eventually stumble upon here, it leads to another like cool action scene. Mm-hmm. I, I like the way it was done because. They get the drop on these guys when they're not paying attention. Even the even Alex Alan Tudyk's character is able to knock out the, the doctor. He's able to, you know, knock somebody out of the doctor, which I really enjoy. And they capture, get Ben Wade out of there, because Ben is definitely wants to go with them. Because they were basically electrocuted him, torturing him at this camp. So he definitely would prefer to go with these guys. So they get out of there and they have a nice sequence running through these tunnels. It's incredibly well laid out. and ends with another big, big logical explosion in a Western movie. Yeah. Because they're blowing out mines. So it makes sense there'd be a lot of explosives. And it keeps Luke Wilson and his characters trapped on the other side.
1: Yeah, because we we had our, uh, our surround sound going. and It was loud.
0: Yeah, it really was. A really great score. Oh, I didn't look up who did the score. I'm sorry, whoever you are. It's fantastic. I'll play an element of it later. And sadly, during the sequence... The doctor is shot. Alan Tudyk is no longer in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not due to Ben Wade. Well, I mean, I guess technically it is. But, you know, he's just shot by one of those guys. And he dies asking, we got away, right? And then he passes on. Nice little sequence there. And it sucks he's gone because he was a nice guy. He didn't deserve to die right there on that that railway. No. Yeah. He was the only one that wanted to try to bury Tucker. Even though he's a piece of shit, he still wanted to try to honor him in that way. (laughs) I admired that about that character. So it sucks that he died there.
1: And then we have the gang rides into town, and then we have the whole fight that ensues.
0: I did want to mention one thing before we got there, and that's the decoy wagon scene. And we don't have a parallel for that in the original movie, because the gang was like smart enough to like go to like, every neighboring town and wait for signs of Ben Wade, I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah, they all split up and went to different towns. I,
0: in this one, they do follow the decoy wagon, and they get there. And it's another brutal scene where Ben Foster's fantastic. He, Basically burns the man to death, forcing him to give up the information on where they're at. And we talked about earlier, it keeps the gang in line in that scene. But I love him burning that guy in there with him like screaming in the background. It's a, it's a really, really nasty sequence. And I like that. Like how brutal these guys are without Ben Wade to kind of even them out. Mm-hmm. I like that. And then, of course, they ride all the way straight to contention. And we spend less time in contention because of it. Yeah. You know, when we get to contention... You know that there is obviously the sequence in the hotel, but a lot of that stuff that we did in the previous film, a lot of that was accomplished on the trip.
1: Mm-hmm. So there,
0: there, there's still something there. But you know, once we get to contention, we are in the third act. You know that that's it. We we are ready to roll. Yeah, because it's only a little bit a little bit of time before Charlie and the gang show up.
1: Yeah, they ride into the town.
0: Yeah, and in this movie, it's a little bit different. The sheriff isn't out of town. Uh, Butterfield's actually able to gather a few marshals, and they have like what five or six guys.
1: Yeah, and they have some army guys too.
0: Yeah, so they have a a little posse there to try to get him across, and there's a big whole element about, you know, justice, we get it, and there's still justice in this town while Ben Wade mocks that idea. So uh, Charlie, as ruthless and loaded as he is, because he's got a lot of cash from the robbery, he offers any man 200 bucks to shoot anybody with that posse. And, like, the whole town immediately, like, goes and grabs every pistol or gun they ever had going to shoot the shit out of these guys. It's fucking chaos. Mm-hmm. They this character is so different in this movie because he is this wild psychopath and like they he's just this agent of chaos and he gets this whole town butchered trying to do this. Mm-hmm. I really like this whole sequence. I do. You know because they send the marshals out they immediately give up and Charlie guns them down instantly. I love that. No mercy at all. So anybody in there knows they're fucked. They're not going out. They're not going to defend. And it leads us to the sequence here. Dan, and if I can't do it, you. Butterfield should be- tapping out, not wanting to do this. They say discretion is the better part of valor. If you think you have an obligation to me or to the railroad, I assure you, you do not. I'm releasing you. It's
1: just you left, Dan. It's just you and your boy.
0: Maybe he's right, Pa. Maybe we should go home.
1: Well, what did Doc Potter give his life for, him, William? Roy.
0: little red ants on a hill. I'll pay the 200 then Dan, right now, and you can walk away. Sorry about the money.
1: <laughs> you know, this whole riot, has been nagging on me. That's what the government gave me for my leg. I love that addition. dollars 36 cents, and the funny thing is that when you think about it, which I have been lately, was they weren't paying me to walk away. They were paying me so they could walk away. This is
0: Bales Oscar moment. Don't muddy the past and the present, Dan. No, 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 wait! I'm seeing the world the way. And it much works. like the last movie, Ben is trying to save Dan to the tr- mm-hmm. subtly, but just trying to push him. The Butterfield's gonna take you home. No, I'm not going anywhere. Yes, you there. are. I'm staying here with you. You're gonna hold up in a room across the hall. You're gonna wait until we leave. I'll get him to Bisbee, Dan. I
1: promise you. Oh, you're gonna promise me a lot more than that, Butterfield. I want guarantees that Hollander
0: Butterfield's a better character in this his version
1: boys, yeah he has more to do
0: he's in on the action Again, and that my he's a fighter fall. in this one and I expect you to hand my wife one thousand cash dollars when you see her you got money to spare I can deliver that just get him on the train it's a pretty generous offer
1: yeah you heard him I heard him William I want you to give this back to your mother
0: I like this scene. You guys can't see here, but he's handing him his medal. And Ben Wade looks directly over them as he hands it to him. And Ben is so uncomfortable by this moment. Watching a father say goodbye to his son. Mm -hmm. You can see just Russell Crowe's expression this whole time the plays through. He hates this. And he's responsible for it. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it hits him harder than he really thought it would. I love the way Crowe plays this whole scene. Without a lot of dialogue. What, four it's or five fun. lines? You got mm-hmm. all the best parts in me.
1: <laughs> what well, few there are. And you just remember, that your old man walk them way to that station when nobody else would.
0: So, yeah, I, I listen, I had, to, I had to play that for, for Bale because I think the relationship between the father and son is so important and so strong in this movie. Mm-hmm. It really make, makes it work for me. It really does. I, I like this sequence and the circumstances to this one better than in the original film. Things are far more dangerous. The stakes are through the roof and, you know, as hopeless as, as Dan is like, I love that moment with his son. I think that's far more impactful than when Alice came to visit in the earlier film. I love that scene. I do. Yeah. And, you know, I, and i like the, the subtle work done by Russell Crowe in the background underplaying a really big moment. It, it's, it's really well done by him. So it, it's great. And now once that's done, we're in the
1: shit. We're in the shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Dan, you know, he won't quit, so he's heading out there. There is a bit of assist from Ben, just like in the previous movie. Ben is along for this ride a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can kind of tell, he's like, I'm I'm going to humor this guy a little bit, because, you know, I. <laughs> it's very clear. Because as they move later on, and <laughs> the plan is kind of falling apart by Charlie. You know, the idea of just shoot at those guys coming out. Well, one of those guys is your boss. Yeah. So he goes out there and he's just shooting people down. Random townspeople who are thought they were getting 200 bucks from him are just dying from his gun. You know, it's complete fucking chaos out there. And Dan and Ben take shelter in one building and Ben's completely fucking done with his shit. I ain't doing this no more. that train, will you? The boy's gone, hero. Ain't nobody watching no more. Still got that one good leg. Why don't you use it to get on home? Charlie! Charlie Friends! Yeah, Hold your fire! I'm walking out! Fire! <laughs> Dan never quits. Still tackles and throws him down. Ben's just trying to choke the life out of him. He's had enough, finally. <laughs> I sound more brutal this I way.
1: Never been. Mm-hmm. No hero,
0: Wade. I love that. Only battle I've seen. We was in retreat. My foot got shot off by one of my own men. You try telling that story, to your boy. See how he looks at you then. Uh, everything here is just played within a look of Russell Crowe realizing like what he has to do here. It is the moment that sort of breaks him down when he sees this is not about anything else this is all the man has left is his honor and there's barely anything there you know he sees that utter desperation in this yeah. honorable man and i mean it's a moment of of pity and understanding and acceptance
1: he's also okay with dying
0: yeah like he's like if you have to kill me for this then do it you know t- somebody stand for something like that it, it affects ben in a way he's not really prepared for and all this is done by just a look from Russell Crowe, it is the power of great acting. It really is because you can just see that in his eyes, that acceptance, understanding of this moment, you know the pity passing to like i know i know I know what I have to do like i've I got to get on that train you know to 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 me, a lot of people questioned I think how the moment kind of turns, and i I, I think it, let me rephrase I don't know if Ben Wade has ever respected anyone, but he absolutely respects this man right now, and he he's never felt that. I don't know if he's ever had a connection with somebody like that who just was a good person because I'm sure he's only dealt with pieces of shit for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And just this one happenstance of these two guys happened to meet at the crossway of this robbery and his cattle getting loose caused this one moment where he absolutely identified for this character and the sociopath wasn't selfless for one damn time. To to me, I, I think that makes it work. They run through there, and and absolutely Ben is leading the charge to get himself into the train. He's helping him along the rooftops, helping him dodge everything. He is in charge here. You know, he absolutely is going to get there. I love the way it, it it all plays out. You know, they they keep running. They eventually have to take cover as the entire gang has them pinned down. A very confused gang, by the way. It it grows subtly. Like they can show shots of the guys being like, Ben, what are you doing? You know, because they can see that he's on the rooftop pulling, you know, Dan along. How did you feel about this version of, of events?
1: I like this version of event. I, I, like I said, I like this movie a little bit more than the original. Uh, the action that it brings, and like all the stuff that you just mentioned, I, I like that that uh, Ben actually ends up just going with the flow.
0: Yeah, I, I think to me it makes a lot of sense. He understands what that man sacrificed means. you know, Like I said, I, I don't know if he's ever felt that before from somebody. And obviously we get right there. The train has come through, but they're still pinned down. And William comes through and he releases Actually, a herd. Actually,
1: the train's late.
0: The tra- I'm sorry, the train's late. Yeah. The train was late when they get there. So that's why they had to basically hunker down in there and that allowed them to get surrounded by the gang. But as the train is beginning to arrive, William shows up and he releases a herd of cattle. Mm-hmm. And as basically, Charlie has that kill shot lined up. He is stampeded by the cattle. I love this score. I love this music. So this is it. They make that last final run. The hero music is thumping Just like that, Charlie shoots him in the back.
1: Several times.
0: Yep. You hear each gunshot. I love that scream. Also, go no. Oh. Ben Wade stumbling out of that, out of that train, just dumbfounded, just staring at Dan dying, heartbroken almost. I mean, that's the look on his face. Oh, yeah. Like he just lost his best friend.
1: He's one tough son of a bitch.
0: There's a beautiful moment here between Foster and Crow where they just look at each other. And immediately he knows that Ben Wade is not on his side. Wade takes out the whole gang.
1: Yeah, he kills everybody.
0: Yeah, and that's completely, completely different. Dan is is dying. This is why I played the clip. It's just for this little moment. William has his gun on him. He's gonna make sure he gets on that goddamn train. I think I jumped the gun. Now William is gonna bring his gun on him. That was him finishing off Charlie. He put an extra shot in his heart. <laughs> Literally breaks his heart. This is it right here. you done it. He's dying, and his son is respects him for the first damn time. What the whole damn move is for? Mm-hmm. I love this moment.
1: It's a redemption story.
0: This is why I fucking love movies. This is such a beautiful, beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. I I love him just like just over his father as he's dying. There's almost a little smile on his face as he goes, you know, knowing that he did his job and his son has one thing to look up to his father. That he was the bravest goddamn person that day. I love it. Yeah. Fucking love this movie. I love both films. I can't recommend them highly enough.
1: Which one did you like more?
0: I enjoy the second uh, the second film more. I enjoy the remake more. Yeah, that was the first one I saw, and I like Bale's performance, and I, I love the relationship with his son. It puts it over the top for me. It really does. And okay. Vanessa Shaw. All right. <laughs> I had a crush on her when I was in high school. Oh really? Yeah, she was in some like uh, teen movie or something like that when I was Pocus like, Pocus. It was something. Well, it was something else too. Something else too that she did. I can't. I can't remember what it is right now. It wasn't Corky Romano, but she's in that too. <laughs> the only reason I've seen it because she's in it. And she rapes the guy in 40 Days and 40 Nights.
1: The weekend before the movie was wrapped, a freak storm dumped two feet of snow on the town. Laborers shoveled the snow from buildings, balconies, and roofs, and distributed 89 dump trucks of o- dry oil. Dry oil. Dry soil. Dry soil. <laughs> Not dry oil.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, sir. Can I have the driest oil you have?
1: Uh, they had dump 89 dump trucks of dry soil on the ground. Dump trucks. backhoes created an eight foot tall rampart of snow just out of sight of the camera
0: yeah i mean that's just what you have to, people don't take into consideration all that kind of production work that goes into it when weather fucks with your day mm-hmm. like all that stuff that has to go through when, like you get rain when you don't want it
1: on the first day of filming a rider of and his horse were seriously injured in a scene where his horse ran directly into a camera carrying vehicle instead of veering off as planned
0: oh no it's a horse okay
1: the rider was hospitalized and the horse had to be euthanized on the set. No!
0: Wait, did some guy come and shoot the horse?
1: They shot him on set.
0: Holy shit. Is
1: the he... animal's death prompted an investigation by he- the Humane Society. They concluded no charges should be brought against the producer.
0: Yeah, no, that's serious shit. That is serious shit. Friend of mine was on a production once for an animal who got killed, and people got in serious trouble for that because they were rushing and trying to do things as quickly as they could. And they got like a dog crushed or something like that. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to do some stunt with a truck or something like that. So I I don't know the specifics, but I remember like he was working with a production company and it it pretty much put him out of business.
1: What do uh, Glenn Ford and Superman have in common?
0: Glenn Ford was uh, Jonathan Kent in Richard Donner's
1: film. Yeah. And Russell Pl- Russell Crowe plays. Yeah, he also.
0: Yeah, that's right. Royal yeah, yeah, <laughs> he played the other Steel. Superman father. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I thank. Good job. I did not put that together, but I, oddly enough, the second you said it, I was like, "Wait, I do know of another Glenn Ford movie. I completely forgot he was in Superman yeah. until just that moment." Thank. Like my brain just whoosh, lit up the second you said it. I love that. Now I know where my keys are. in Nineteen eighty-eight.
1: All right. Okay, so three ten to Yuma, nineteen fifty-seven. Got. A 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. The 2007 version got a 4.5 user review, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb.
0: Oh, not bad. Yeah, they're both well-reviewed and well-liked, so.
1: And here is a, okay, so I couldn't find any one-star reviews I was for the super, original movie.
0: I was super curious about this if you were able to find that lower review. But I classic.
1: found a three-star review.
0: Okay, well, we will accept that. We will yeah. accept that.
1: okay. This film is well-acted with reasonably good looks and feel. It's even well-written in terms of interesting dialogue and character complexity. The problem is, and it is a serious problem, that the plot, character, motivations, and actions are ill-conceived and never credible. Ben Wade, Glenn Ford, is a charismatic and ruthless thief and murderer who charms the woman and disarms a man. Dan Evans, Van Heflin, is a simple farmer with a sense of justice who is hired to transport Wade to Yuma in secret and under threat from Ford's gang of thieves. The two engage in a psychological battle as they wait in a hotel room for a 310 to arrive. All that sounds great, but credibility is the issue. The script is too clever for its own good. To, To start, Wade and company actually report their own crime after having committed the robbery without hiding their identities. No explanation is even offered for this odd behavior. Once caught, and he is too easily caught, Wade is far too smug in his presumption that this gang will save him. Evans becomes inexplicably inexplicably dedicated to his task, willing to risk his own life against impossible odds even after he is released from his commitment. Even so, Evans is inexplicably differential to his own prisoner, he rolls and lights a cigarette for Wade repeatedly. Without Wade asking, having asked for the favor, Evans even tells Wade that he is nothing against Wade and is only doing this job. But Evans, seemingly so concerned with justice, actually saw Wade kill two men. Evans contradicts himself in both word and deed. At one point, Wade rushes Evans in his back. His explanation, I wanted to see if you would shoot, please. The film is an odd and failed comb- combination of incompatible dynamics. While it assumes the audience is intelligent enough to be fascinated by the psychological battle, it also assumes we're not smart enough to question the many absurdities. In the end, it's a real eye roller.
0: Wow. Yeah, like, they do pretty much explain why they, they do some stuff. And I, I think the way Ben is captured is clever. I think he had everybody fooled. That's what he thought. He just got unlucky. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he got horny. They yeah. got the best of him. He He would not be the first man whose dick led him astray. <laughs> no he wouldn't no he certainly would not so I, I think it's a pretty I think it's a pretty terrible review but you know weirdly enough he complimented all the other stuff like the writing the directing and the acting but he had a few issues with that but I guess if you have issues with your suspension of disbelief and you can't get past something it is what it is right yeah I mean, that, that's all it can all it can really be
1: okay and the 2007 I did find a one star review and here it is lay it on me okay First, why steal the title from a classic Western if you're not just gonna yank a few more bucks from their clients, us, when the so-called remake is butchered beyond belief? This effort should have been a standalone production so just so it wouldn't drag down another production with it. The main character, played by Crow, is quite happy to murder law enforcement and his own gang members with nothing shorter than that of a psychopath, yet fluctuates back and forth in wanting to help and feel sorry for his captor and son. I won't waste time repeating a lot of the film's other irregularities, but that run through town with the citizens and gang now trying to kill them. I mean, let's get real. Was it a town policy only to sell guns to blind people? And were the town people who were after the money, who knew every nook and cranny of their tiny town just terminally stupid as well? As for the last scene, total in its absolute ridiculousness, Crow was a psychopath, someone unable to empathize with any sort of extended to others, so what's the all shucks, I guess he's not at so bad after all when he's been murdering those after him and his own gang all throughout the whole story. I could go on, but I leave it with this. If this is the best the studios can do with westerns, then they should forget about making them. The movie wasn't even worth the time wasted making or watching it, even if you got to watch it for free. I like the main actors, I like westerns, but the potential for quality and that these things offered was absolutely absent here.
0: Well, Ben doesn't kill indiscriminately like that guy mentioned you know, he he left uh peter fonda's character alive
1: well i think when i was going through the reviews a lot of the one star reviews had to do with the ending and the fact that he kills his own gang mm. so i'm thinking that's what he means
0: yeah I, I i could see how some people had a problem with that but for him to do what he did like he can't just get on the the train with his gang there So he he had to think of something, but yeah, those guys like went through hell for like three days to try to get him back, only to be shot by the leader of their gang because he grew a conscious conscience for a rancher that he just met.
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah,
0: I suppose you, you can't have some issue with it. Like I I explained very clearly to me why it works for me and why I love it, but I can certainly understand if you look at that and be like, whatever, like it just, it may not work for you. And listen, that's fine. That's Okay. Like, not every movie is going to be universally loved. It's just how it goes. We discovered there can be a three-star review for a classic. I'm pretty sure there's lots of people that hate Citizen Kane. You don't like Citizen Kane. No. You don't like Citizen Kane. Well, I mean, I guess that's going to do it for our show. We don't really have a whole lot else to... Or do we have anything else to add? So, Roger Ebert did talk a lot about the original movie that he absolutely loved. I got to watch a long lecture about it (laughs) a little earlier in the day. He really, really loved the movie. But uh, since he was around and kicking in 2007, he did review the remake. So, uh, with that being said, Roger Ebert gave the film... Can you guess how many stars he gave the
1: remake? Three and a half.
0: It four stars. Wow. Four stars.
1: I didn't think he had it in him.
0: Right. Roger Ebert says, James Mangold's 310 to Yuma restores the wounded heart of the Western and rescues it from the morass of pointless violence. The Western in its glory days was often a morality play, a story about a humanist values penetrating the lawless anarchy of the frontier. It still follows that tradition in films like Eastwood's Unforgiven, but the audience's appetite for morality plays and Western seems to be fading. Here, the quality of the acting and the thought behind the film make it seem like a vanguard of something new even though it's a remake of a great movie over 50 years old. The plot is so easily told that Elmore Leonard originally wrote it as a short story. A man named Dan Evans, who lost a leg in the Civil War, has come to the Arizona Territory to try his luck at ranching. It's going badly, made worse by a neighboring bully who wants to force him off his land. The Territory still fears Indian raids, and just as much the lawless gang led by Ben Wade, which sticks up stagecoaches, robs banks, Casually murders people and outguns any opposition. Through a series of developments that seem almost directed by fate, Dan Evans finds himself as part of a posse sworn in to escort Wade, captured and handcuffed, to the nearby town of contention, where the 310 train has a cell in its mail car that will transport Wade to the prison in Yuma and a certain death sentence. Both Dan and Ben have elements in their characters that come under test in this adventure. Dan fears he has lost the confidence of his wife, Alice, and teenage son, Will who doubt he can make the ranch work. Still, less does Dallas... <laughs> Pardon
1: me. Debbie does Dallas. <laughs> Shit.
0: <laughs> I forgot how to read. It's been a long show, guys. Still less does Alice see why her transplanted Eastern husband should risk his life as a volunteer. The son, Will, who has practically memorized dime novels about Ben Wade, idolizes the outlaw. And when Dan realizes the boy has followed the posse, he is not pleased at all. That's an insight into Wade. He plays his persona like a performance. He draws, reads, philosophizes. Philosophizes? Philosophizes. Philosophizes. (laughs) Wow. Long show. Mm. (laughs) All right. (laughs) You're not going to be all philosophizing over here. (laughs) Having spent untold time living on the run with them, He may actually find it refreshing to spend time with Dan, even as his captive. Eventually, the two men end up in a room in the Contention Hotel overlooking the street in earshot of the train whistle, surrounded outside by armed men who want to rescue Ben or kill him. These three outlines also describe the 1957 version of 310 to Yuma, directed by Delmore Dave, starring Glenn Ford and Van Heflin, in the roles of the rancher and the outlaw. The movie, with its railroad timetable, followed the slowly advancing clock in high noon and was compared to it. When I saw it in 35mm at Telluride in the 1980s, I thought it was better than High Noon, not least because of that personality ships it involves. Mangold's version is better still than the 1957 original because it has better actors with more thought behind their dialogue. Christian Bale plays not simply a noble hero, but a man who has avoided such risks as he now takes and is almost at a loss to explain why he is bringing a killer to justice except that having been mistreated and feeling unable to provide for his family, he is fed up, and here he takes his stand. Crow, however, plays not merely a merciless killer, although he is that too, but a man who is capable of surprising himself. He is too intelligent to have only one standard behavior, which must fit all situations, and is perhaps bored of having that expected of him. Westerns used to be showcases of great character actors, of whom I was lucky enough to meet Dub Taylor, Jack Elam, Chill Wills, Ben Johnson, and, when she wasn't doing a million other things, Shelly Winters. 310 to Yuma has two roles that need special character flavor and fills them perfectly. Peter McFonda plays McElroy, a professional bounty hunter who would rather claim the price on Ben Wade's head than let the government execute him for free. And Ben Foster, who plays Charlie Prince, the second-in-command of Wade's gang, who seems half in love with Wade, or maybe Charlie's half aware that he's all in love. Wade would know which and wouldn't care, except as material for his study of human nature. Locked in the hotel room, surrounded by death for one or the other, the two men begin to talk. Without revealing anything of the plot, let me speculate that each senses he has found the first man he has met in years who is his equal in conversation. Crow and Bale play this dialogue so precisely that it never reveals itself for what it really is, a testing of mutual insight. One trial of a great actor is the ability to let dialogue do its work invisibly, something you can also see in next week's In the Valley of Eli with Tommy Lee Jones and Charlize Theron. I don't know why he's playing that movie. Too many actors like the guy who laughs at his own joke and then tells it to you again. James Mangold first came into view with an extraordinary movie named Heavy. His Walk the Line won an Oscar for Reese Witherspoon. To remake 310 to Yuma seems an odd choice after such other modern films as Girl Interrupted. But the movie itself proves he had a good reason for choosing it. In hard times, Americans have often turned to Westerns to reset their compasses. In very hard times, it takes a very good Western. Attend well to Ben Wade's last words in this movie, and who he says them to, and why. Good words from Mr. Roger Ebert.
1: Yes, very long words.
0: Yeah, Ebert wrote an incredibly long review there. So, yeah, that's it. Ebert loved it. I loved it You loved it We love it Go check out these movies We couldn't really recommend them any higher Right We've already given our social information So I don't have that to end on Unless you have a a final thought
1: No No I think we covered everything.
0: Yeah, I think we really did. We discussed all that we could about these two movies. Yeah. And next week we're going to be doing The Ten Commandments. So No, we're not. No, <laughs> we're, we're going we're gonna to break down every single scene of The Ten Commandments with Charles and Instant. No, we're not. We're not doing that. I don't know what we're going to be doing, but we'll, we'll figure it out by next week. Trust me, there'll be a show. There's always a show. Yeah. No matter what. All right. I'm Pedro, and I appreciate you listening. Have a good one.
1: And I'm Meredith. Bye.